Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. We're so glad you're able to join us today, this afternoon, on this wonderful Tuesday afternoon. I'm your host, Drew DeGrotto. Uh, we have with us on the panel, Scott Smeltzer. How are you doing, Scott? Doing well, Drew. How are you today? Doing very good, thank you. And Jonathan Sadler, how are you doing, Jonathan? Are you, uh, there you are. Yeah, I'm doing well. It's good to see you okay. guys. Okay, thanks for sending me that little chat before... A lot of people don't realize what we go through to get started, and we're always forgetting. I'm always forgetting something, but thanks a lot. Um, but we're glad you're all joining us today, and we really want to encourage everyone listening or watching to uh, give us your feedback, your comments as we're going through what we'll be talking about today, which is a very interesting, uh, well, everything's interesting as long as it's coming from the scriptures. We're going to be looking at some of the storyline in Acts chapter 8. But before we get there, if you're coming in on the Zoom app, uh, please use the uh, icon that has the Q&A button on it and give us your comments or questions coming in that box or the chat. There's also a chat box there. Either one will be fine. We'll be monitoring that. If you're coming in on the Facebook page, which is being broadcast on Scott's Facebook page, use the comment box there and we'll also watch for comments coming in there. With that said, I already mentioned we're going to be going into... Uh, looking at the, the context of chapter eight of the book of Acts. Jonathan, you're gonna give us a little introduction of that by looking at some of the, uh, the pre-chapter eight information. What, what's going on there in chapter seven? Yeah, so in order to talk about Acts chapter eight, it's, it's one of the unfortunate, I think, chapter breaks in the Bible because it, it picks up in the middle of a sentence and in the middle of a story. So in Acts chapter seven, just really briefly, um, one, of the, uh, one of the six men that were chosen to, or one of the seven men that were chosen to serve in Acts chapter 6, Stephen, he preached a sermon to the Jewish um, people that were there, and they did not approve of what he said, um, and so they wanted to kill him. They weren't listening um, to, the, to the preaching that he was giving, and whenever he mentioned that he saw Jesus, the Son of Man, standing in the heavens at the end of Acts chapter 7, um, in verse 57, they cried with a loud voice, stopped their ears, rushed at him, then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and Acts chapter 8, um, picks up with um, the first time that we're introduced to the character Saul, uh, Saul of Tarsus. Uh, in verse 1, Saul approved of his execution, and then from there on, there's this great persecution that rises against the church, um, and Saul is ravaging the church, going from house to house, dragging people to prison, and as that persecution starts in Jerusalem, the Christians that are in Jerusalem spread throughout the rest of the region uh, and into the surrounding region, the adjacent region, into Samaria, and that's where verse 4 picks up, where I think we're going to start at. Before right. we go into verse four, though, uh, it's interesting that they were scattered out, um, and you would think that uh, everyone would scatter. Of course, it says the apostles stayed back in, in, in Jerusalem, but all, most of the Christians just spread to get away from it, and that was intended, because Jesus, uh, where was it? Jesus said that, um, oh, where was it? Yeah, that? at the beginning of Acts. In the beginning of Acts, when Jesus is giving the uh, kind of the Great Commission uh, in the Acts version of it, in Acts chapter 1, uh, in verse 8, he says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, which had happened, and in Samaria and to the end of the earth, which exactly. Acts chapter 8 is the beginning of Samaria, and then the rest of Acts is the rest of the world. So, so this is the plan. This is what Jesus said is going to happen anyway. And, and that's and what the text says here in, in Acts chapter 8. Um, those who were scattered... In verse four, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So they didn't just run away. They ran away telling people about All Jesus. intended. All intended. Go ahead, Scott. 
let's uh, also mention that we're going to find out about this event right here more in chapter 11. It says, those that were scattered abroad upon the tribulation that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to none, save only to the Jews. So they are scattering, they are taking the word, but this is still before Cornelius, and so they're taking the word to Jews in those places. And uh, yeah. then we'll see in chapter 11 that some, when they went up to Antioch of Syria, also preached to Gentiles. All right, but so this is the point of the dispersion, and uh, as, as has been pointed out, this helped spread the gospel. When the enemies tried to crush it, it, it leads to it being spread. And one of the fellows that goes out, and we're going to read about him going to a couple of different places here, is who? Saul. Saul of Tarsus. Well, we'll read a lot more of him in the book of Acts, but one of the fellows that's dispersed, one of the... One oh, of the uh, Philip. Yeah, Philip. And what do we know about Philip from earlier in Acts and from later in Acts? Actually, Philip was the second... Uh, servant listed right after Stephen, who was just the stone in that list of men who were going to help the Hellenistic Jews. Yeah, so this is not Philip the Apostle. If you remember naming your 12 apostles from back in the Gospels, there was a Philip there. This is not that Philip. Right. Because in Acts 6, when the 12 hear about the trouble with the feeding of the widows, the 12 said, we don't need to leave you know, serving the word in prayer and taking care of these spiritual things to take care of the tables. So you appoint seven men who will see over this. And one of the fellows they pick is Philip. So this is not Philip the apostle. It's Philip, one of the, one of the seven. Now, is that the only thing we see Philip being in the book of Acts? What's he called later in the book of Acts? Yeah, in Acts chapter 21, he's Philip the evangelist. Yeah. So Acts 21 verse 8. Is where that is. And so these are these are two different functions. In in Act Six, he's helping with the feeding of the widows, and uh, in late at the end of Acts, and also right here, we see him operating as an evangelist. So with that having been said, somebody start with us and read verse five through eight, please. Uh, let me start with verse four because now there was those scattered went about preaching the word. Okay. Uh, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who, ha who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was much joy in that city. Side question. Um, we often talk about Cornelius being the first Gentile convert later in chapter 10, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Were the Samaritans Jews? They were near not, the Jews or Gentiles. Not technically. Yeah. yeah um, they might have had some uh, Israelite blood in them, likely, uh, some Levitical blood in them from the priests that went up there when you go back to the stories of the Old Testament. But they were largely pagan peoples brought in by the Assyrians to populate the land. Uh, and we know from John 4, how does it describe the relationships of Jews towards Samaritans? They hated each other. Yeah, they had no relations. <laughs> yeah, it's the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. So my question is, if the Samaritans aren't Jews, why is the conversion of Cornelius such a big deal as the first Gentile convert 
when back here in chapter eight, we're going to see a conversion of non-Jewish people? That's a good question. Yeah, I'm hoping you're going to give us an answer. answer. <laughs> well, look at Acts chapter 11. After Cornelius is uh, baptized, look at the complaint in verse uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 1 through 3. Yes, that says, now the apostles and the brothers who were all throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And so when Peter went to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to an uncircumcised man and ate with them. There you go. They didn't say you went to a Gentile and ate with them. They said you went to a uncircumcised man. Uncircumcised man. The Samaritans were circumcised. The mm -hmm. Samaritans used the, the, the Torah, the five books of Moses. Uh, and they practiced circumcision. And so even though they were looked down on by the Jews, they at least are circumcised. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, and, and of course there have been Gentile converts that were in the church earlier than this, but they have yeah. been circumcised. So when you go back to the list of the seven, you had Stephen, you had Philip, and you had Nicholas, who was a... Proselyte. Yeah, and what does proselyte mean? A Gentile who became Someone a Jew. Yeah, and having become a Jew, he would have been circumcised. circumcised. So Jews were okay with Gentiles as long as you got circumcised and became a Jew. And they're not really okay with Samaritans, but they're circumcised. Cornelius, the big deal there is going to be, A, he's a Gentile that's uncircumcised. All right, so back to our text. Um, so how successful is Philip up in Samaria? Oh, he's extremely successful. And one of the key things that contributed to his being successful was his ability to perform miracles. Right. Now, uh, this can, uh, I, can I, can I can interrupt yeah. yourself? Just hit me. You brought up John 4, and that was the story about Jesus at the well, the Samaritan woman. Right. And when, at, towards the end of that, she goes back into the city to bring uh, and tells about the Messiah, who she believes yeah. is the Messiah. Men came out. And what did Jesus say to the, to the disciples? Look, the harvest is white. Yeah and, yeah, they, and they ended up believing Jesus was the Messiah based on Jesus's words. And yes. we had no indication that there was ever any miracles at that time. And so there, you don't get much of them in the story anymore for a while. And so I can just get the impression that these guys, the Samaritans, they, they now know the Messiah is here. No, nothing else is known about what else they do. But wouldn't you say that they're almost ripe for this? Yeah. They're yeah, right uh, to hear the story about the risen Messiah now. Yeah. And so maybe some of these people are people who had, you know, gone out there before. And of course, when the woman went, Jesus had not, you know, turned water to wine or made a blind man see, but he had told the woman, as to describe it in her words, he told me everything I ever did. Yeah. You know, exactly. well, he and she said, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. All right. So uh, back here then to Acts chapter 8, with that preparatory work done by Christ, now Philip is here, he's doing the miracles, and there was much joy in the city. Um, and, and so there, the, the multitudes are giving heed and paying attention with the accord of things he's speaking, because look at the miracles he's doing. So it's, it's kind of like when Nicodemus said what to Jesus in John 3, we know you're from God because... No one does these things. Yeah, except they're from God. Now, it turns out there was another guy in town who had been claiming to have power of God, who had been using sorcery and deception for some time. 
And let's read that. But there was a certain man, Simon by name, who before time in the city used sorcery, amazed the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is that power of God, which is called great. And they gave heed to him because of a long time, he had amazed them with his magic. And then magic somebody, or sorcery. What, what is your yeah, sorcery? Yeah. Sorcery. So now read somebody, read 12 through 13 for us, please. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. And even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing the signs and miracles and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Mm. Right, there's a lot in there. Where do you want to start? Well, they were all well, paying attention to him because of his, I call it magic, which is another word, but it, sorcery, it was fake, but it was impressive because it appeared to have miraculous, a mystical uh, power. He did. Yeah, and let's just say a word about that. If you've ever uh, watched a magician on TV, you know, they can do some pretty impressive things. Uh, sometimes I can't figure it out at all how they do what they do. Other times I can. I remember watching David Copperfield a few times. And I'm like, oh, I see what he did. Oh, I know how he did that. Uh, and the, you know, the way to figure out how they do it, put yourself in the role of the magician. If you need to have it look like this, what would you do to get it to look like that? But if you're not looking at it that way, you can just sit back and be amazed. And magicians today do it for entertainment. But magicians in ancient times, are they letting everybody this is know this is entertainment and a trick? No, no. He's claiming, he's claiming and accepting the yeah. power of the great one. Yeah. And, uh, for instance, we're later going to see a sorcerer who is with the proconsul in Rome. And he's really not going to like it when the Roman proconsul starts listening to Paul and Barnabas. Uh, that's one that uh, Paul will have smitten blind. Um, these abilities gave them power and influence. Sometimes, you know, it'd be able to ally them with a ruler or get them influence over people. Uh, think of even like in the legends of King Arthur and his magician, what's his magician's name? Merlin, Merlin. the wizard. You know, so these guys, they could use, they tried to get a lot of influence and this guy had a lot of influence. But curiously, of course, not so curiously when you think about the difference, what happens when he sees Philip's miracles? God's miracles. He's amazed, <laughs> which, yeah. is, which is interesting because it, it wasn't just that he had some political influence. Uh-oh. Jonathan, you froze. How about continue that thought, Drew? So I, why I, I was looking at a technical issue I was facing over here. So what was his thought, Scott? Okay, all right. Sorry. Oh no, he's back. He's back. He's right, back. I'm back now. Yeah, I'm back now. Um, but it, I can't. I can't remember where. Where did I leave off? Well, let, let's. Uh, okay. it's, it's why Simon would believe Philip. Why not he recognize just the real thing? Yeah. Good position. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, he recognized the real thing. This was not magic. Right. Yeah. If you're a magician, you understand how to use, say, I don't know what tricks Simon used, but if, if you personally are a magician, you know how sleight of hand works and you know how to watch for it. You know how to use a plant and audience, you know how to watch for it. 
you know how to use, you know, a trap door, you know how to watch for it. You, in other words, it, it's uh, uh, like, have you ever seen the thing, uh, pin and teller, where you yeah. try to fool mm-hmm. pin and teller? And, you know, pin and teller usually, every once in a while, they can't see how he did it. But usually, they're, you know, two steps ahead. Yep, I know what he's going to do. I know how he's going to do it. So with you knowing all the tricks, and of course, you've got to do things in a certain way. Somebody comes to town and hears, say, this blind fellow that everybody know, has known has been blind for years, and all of a sudden he can see. Or that crippled fellow, how, how can you do that? How can you trick that? Mm-hmm. So what does Simon, of course, realize? This is the These real people thing. really do have the power of God. All right. Anything more on 12 or 13 before we go ahead? Any comments from our viewers out there? Uh, we'd, we'd love to hear if you're out there listening or viewing. Uh, we'd love, love to hear your comments or questions on this chapter. Let's, let's touch on this just real briefly. Um, a lot of people believe that baptism is something you do to a baby. You sprinkle the baby. Other people believe the Bible teaches it's an immersion for people grown enough to believe, be believers. Notice here in verse 12, who's getting baptized? The people that believe. Yeah, there's men and women who believe. Women that believe. Were there no babies in Samaria? Probably were. I would assume. Of course, there would have been babies in that city. Were there toddlers in that? Yes. It's not little children that are being baptized. It's men and women are being baptized that believe. All right. Verse 14. When the apostles that were Jerusalem heard that Samaria received the word of God, Who'd they send? Peter and John. Two of the apostles. What did they do when they got there? Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I just realized I something. The Holy Spirit. Hold on a second. This not where you're going. I just thought, they, who's the they? The apostles, right? They send Peter and John, right? Yes. That kind of puts Peter and John on the same level as all the apostles. Unlike today, people say that Peter was the first pope. He was the head of the church uh they sent peter that doesn't sound like someone who's the head yeah it's not that pope peter sent james and john it's they peter and john and when they got there what's the first thing they did they prayed they prayed for them what did they pray for that they would receive the holy spirit because as yet it had fallen on none of them only they had been baptized they'd only been baptized in the name of the lord jesus and so, what were they baptized for then, uh, Scott? Well, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So their okay, sins so- are forgiven. They're disciples now. Uh, but uh, they've not received the Holy Spirit, and the apostles pray, lay hands on them. And in verse 17, then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. So what does that infer to us about what type of reception they've got of the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, Simon, before, before that happened, Simon was going around with Philip for a while. We don't know how many weeks or months later that apostles came down, but Simon, I'm sorry, yeah, Simon was staying really close to Philip. It said he attended to him. I would today's later. 
because I mean Samaria is not very far from Jerusalem. Right. So so, but it's not the same day, is what I'm saying. Right. And so Simon is is you can see that he was hanging around Philip a lot, and then he sees something. He's that been seeing his Philip. fancy. Yes, he's been seeing Philip work real miracles. So if you can imagine, say you're David Copperfield and you've made your, well, I guess he's kind of out of date by now, perhaps. I don't know if he's still performing or not, but some other magician. If you're a magician and you meet someone from God that can do real miracles, that's got your attention. But of course, there's the old man and the new man issue. Ephesians is written to people who are Christians, but they have to be reminded to keep who put to death. The old man. Old man. They're old designers. And if you've been a magician and why did you want to be, a, you enjoyed people thinking that you've got this power. Then you see somebody who really has the power. Notice Philip can't pass on the power. Mm -hmm. Philip can do the miracles, but he couldn't pass it on. They needed to have apostles come from Jerusalem. The apostles could do miracles and could pass it on. Jonathan. Yeah, so there's a question that comes in. It's an interesting question. Um, Carolyn asks, why didn't they receive the Holy Spirit when they were baptized? Don't we receive the Holy Spirit when we're, uh, when we're baptized? And so I assume that she's referring to Acts 2.38, um, which you quoted the first part of that, Scott, where it says they need to repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes. And I can't guarantee that I know all of what's going on here because the text says what the text says. But uh, it, it may have to do with this. In Acts 2, I don't see that as being immediately manifested by miraculous power. In Acts 8, what Simon gets, I believe, is a manifestation by miraculous power. And we'll see why I think the text infers that. But well, Acts, what about Scott? Scott, don't we also have scripture that says that God dwells in us, that we have his spirit in us. And yes. that's not, in those cases, that's not miraculous. So there is a sense where they receive the Holy Spirit, uh, but it's not miraculous. Wouldn't you say that? Yes. Mm -hmm. And in fact, here in Acts 2.38, here's what that text says. Peter said, after they said, what do we need to do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, unto the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. To you is the promise, and to your children, and to all that are far off, as many as the Lord God shall call unto him. With many other words, he testified and exhorted, saying, save yourselves from this generation. They then that received his word were baptized. And so I believe they got the remission of sins, and I believe they got the gift of the Holy Spirit. But look at verse 43 in Acts 2. What is it such? Fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The apostles. So you got 3,000 new disciples, and I believe they have remission of sins, and I believe they have the gift of the Holy Spirit. But at this point, the 3,000 are watching the apostles do the miracles. I believe in Acts 8, we've got a, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit here that included the miraculous. And I'll explain that in a minute, but Jonathan has something. Go ahead, Jonathan. Yeah, and, and that follows the pattern even with Philip. How was Philip able to perform miracles? Well, in Acts chapter 6, whenever the seven are chosen to serve, you've got, uh, you know, Stephen, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, uh, and, and so on and so forth. And then in verse 6 of chapter 6 of Acts, 
these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So the Philippians also had the hands of the apostles laid on him, giving him the ability to... Keep in mind, though, um, that that laying on of hands was bestowing on them the responsibility to take care of the widows. For example, mm -hmm. Paul and Barnabas, as they're setting out on the, on the first yeah. missionary journey, the church lays hands on them. I don't think that's where Paul, already called to be an apostle, got the ability to do miracles, but right. it was commissioned for that. But there, there are two other passages that relate to uh, spiritual gifts coming through the laying on of apostles' hands. What are those other two passages? Well, Cornelius. Uh, oh, no, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. First, no. Is it 1 Timothy 1? Yeah, there's one in Timothy, and there's one in Acts 19. So, Jonathan, go ahead and read the one for us in Timothy. Is that in first or second Timothy? Well, in one of them, it says that Timothy's gift was with the laying on of hands of the presbytery, but the other says that it was through the laying on of Paul's Yeah, so uh, I think you're doing verse six, second Timothy, verse six. Yes. Six. For this reason, I remind you to. Uh-oh, he froze again. All right. Verse 6 says, For which cause I put you, this is 2 Timothy 1, 6, I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Jonathan, you had froze out there, so I read yeah, that. Sorry about that. Now, look at Acts 19. We're just going to do this real quick because we're we got a lot to do in Acts 8. We need to get back to it. But in Acts chapter 19, Paul gets to Ephesus, meets some disciples, understands they've been baptized, asked them if they received the Holy Spirit, verse 2. They said, no, we didn't even hear about it. Verse 3, or about it being given. John, Paul said, well, what were you baptized into? They said, John's baptism. Paul says, John's baptism, you know, was for repentance, saying to the people they should believe on the one that comes after him, that is on Jesus. So when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Mm -hmm. So notice, here's two things Paul would do. He would go and he'd preach the gospel and have people baptized in Christ. Once they're in Christ, he would lay hands on people and give them spiritual gifts. When he met people that he assumed had been baptized right, he's offering to give them spiritual gifts. When he finds out they know nothing about this, he backs up and says, wait, what baptism? finds out they need to be baptized correctly, he does that, and then lays hands on them they receive gifts. Go ahead, Tom. Uh, a couple other questions that have come in. Uh, Albert asks, is there just certain disciples um, that the apostles laid their hands on or all who had been baptized? There were many, many, many. For instance, when you go to 1 Corinthians uh, and read there in chapter 12, he says, look, uh, to, another, to one is given the... Uh, ability to do miracles to another tongues to another interpretation tongues to another etc and he said to them in first Corinthians 1 uh that you know you are behind in no gift and the way he operates here in acts 19 he meets some disciples and he immediately he's offering basically to pass on uh gifts of the spirit to them if they've not received uh that yet so i think he would have done that to many many people john it's it's not so much it doesn't it's not so much as a how many or all of them. The point here is that the only way miracles was passed on to any human being 
was by the hands of the apostles, whether it was a lot or a few. Or with the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, I'm talking about in, in this particular method. No, 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 there was another another person who had miracles. That person had miracles, couldn't. For instance, Philip. Philip could do the miracles, but not right. being an apostle, he couldn't pass it on. Go ahead, John. Yeah, and then one comment, um, which I think is helpful. Um, John says, um, as a side thought, it may be viewed, Acts 2.38, that the gift of the Holy Spirit, talked about in Acts 2.38, was a fulfillment of Joel 2.28, um, which is goes in line with the passage that um, Peter quotes in his sermon in Acts 2. And he said, based on the promise seen in Acts 2.38, it could be viewed as God's fellowship now being offered to the whole world through the new covenant of Jesus Christ. So Joel 2.28 says, it shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Uh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy on your old men dreams, dream dreams, and your young men just does refer also to spiritual gifts there. Right. It, yeah. And then that happens also with the apostles and speaking in tongues in Acts chapter 2. Philip's, Philip's own daughters, or right. virgin daughters that prophesy. But let's get back here to Acts 18 and notice why I believe that this uh, manifestation of the Holy Spirit, it's a giving of the Holy Spirit, and I believe it is a giving of the Holy Spirit that includes miraculous power. And Did you say Acts 18? Acts 8, verse 18. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, because um, the text simply says this, they had not received the Holy Spirit, um, for the Holy Spirit had not fallen on them yet. That's what it says. Then the apostles came, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. They laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, that's, that's all it says. Then it says, when Simon saw that through the laying on the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. Now, here's what I suggest. Um, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Did he do miracles? Did he do signs? Not one. No. Yeah, he was, he was a prophet, which is, mm -hmm. is a spiritual gift, but he did not do signs. That's mentioned in the Gospel of John. Uh, Christians today, I believe, when they're baptized, they receive the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you're doing a miracle. I believe this was a miraculous manifestation, and here's why. If the apostles came, laid hands on people, and said, now the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Say that again, I can hear you. If when Peter and John came to Samaria, if they said, we're going to pray that these people receive the Holy Spirit, and they laid hands on them, they said, now you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, and the brethren said, thank you. Mm -hmm. What would have been there in that to attract the attention of Simon the Sorcerer? Nothing. So I suspect that what happened is just like in Acts 19, when Paul laid hands on people, they immediately began to prophesy and do tongues. Mm -hmm. uh, and like in when the Holy Spirit baptism was poured out from heaven, not through the laying on hands with Cornelius to show that they got what the apostles got at the beginning. And immediately they're speaking in these other languages and the people with Peter are amazed. You know, there's an amazement factor here. So I believe this involved miraculous ability, and that's what gets Simon's attention, because he he spent his life pretending he's got these powers. He meets the fellow who's got these powers, but he can't pass it on. Now he's met two men that not only have the powers, but they can pass it on. So what does Simon want? 
And look, what that's exactly what he says. Give me this power also, verse 19, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And what's Peter's answer? Uh, may your silver perish with you because you thought you can obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither heart nor lot in this matter. Your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray the Lord, if perhaps the thought of your heart shall be forgiven you. For I see you're in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And what does Simon say? Pray for me to the Lord that nothing what you said has come upon me. Yeah. Yeah. This right. brings up an interesting um, an interesting idea as well. I, I was uh, studying with a guy uh, earlier last week. Um, and we were talking about Acts 2 and the necessity of baptism and why you need to be baptized for your sins to be forgiven. And he made a, a, a very uh, innocent observation. He said, he asked me, how many times have you been baptized? <laughs> thinking, thinking, oh, you need to be baptized every time that you sin. I said, no, I've just been baptized once. <laughs> um, and this, this kind of uh, is, is a passage that kind of shows the pattern. Another is First uh, John chapter 1 and 2. Um, but Peter doesn't tell Simon, oh, you, you just sinned. You're, you're thinking wickedly. You're acting wickedly. You need to go get baptized again. He says you need to pray that the Lord will forgive you. Um, and so that's the pattern that we follow. Yeah, repent. I'm really glad you brought that up. Because when Paul got to Samaria, to people that aren't disciples of Jesus, he doesn't say repent and pray. Mm-hmm. And a lot of churches teach that today. You know, if you want to become a Christian, you need to repent and pray. No, the way to become a Christian Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's when you become a Christian. Once you are a Christian, so what was Simon told originally? He's told to be baptized. He needs to repent, and he needs to be baptized in Christ. He does that. Then when he gets back into sin, he's not told to be baptized again. It's repent and pray. So if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, if you've been if you repented and you were baptized in, the, in the Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins, when you sin in the future, repent and pray. But if you haven't become a disciple, do what Simon was told the first time to be baptized in Christ. Really glad you brought that up. Jonathan. Anything else on that? Anything else coming in from our audience? Really appreciate that our audience has been commenting today. Any other comments coming in? Yeah, that, was, that was a very good um, question before from, from Carol. Yeah, and, and uh, just also so our audience is aware, uh, and I think we've said this before, but again, um, the Facebook um, stream is a few seconds behind, I think about 18 seconds behind or so. Um, so it's difficult to line up your comments and questions with what we're talking about live. Um, but there is another comment that, that from Albert, um, um, where I assume he's talking about the baptism um, um, that is necessary. He says, as stated, I believe the emphasis is on the method. Um, but yeah, thanks for that comment, Albert. All right, so let's get back to our text here and see if we can get through the eunuch. This is really fascinating. Verse 25, They therefore, when they had testified, spoken the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem, that's Peter and John, and they preached the gospel to many villages of Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and told him to do what? Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so when the angel of the Lord told him to do that, Verse 27 says, he arose in. And went. Went. And there's somebody else on that road. Who's on that road? The Ethiopian. Yeah, somebody read what it says about 
In verse 27, he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. All right. Now, real quickly, because we've only got nine minutes left, and there's a lot we want to get in. But what are some things that you see about this man from the text? This is a Jewish man, it seems, or at least a proselyte, um, because okay. he's in Jerusalem worshiping. He's reading one of the prophets in Jewish literature. So, All right. He's a court official of the queen of the Ethiopians. Right. He's a tells us, and he's over her treasure. And if you're a queen, you're going to require what kind of person to be in charge of all your money? Uh, honest. Honest man. Yeah, yeah. So this is going to be somebody of good reputation and honest. And he's traveled hundreds of miles by chariot to get to Jerusalem to worship. So this is a devout man. This is a man that takes his religion seriously. And as he's leaving, you might think, okay, I got my worship done out of the way. You might be expecting him to be focused on everything else. But as he's traveling back, no, he's doing what? He's reading from the, uh, the prophet Isaiah. Right, All right. So then the spirit, and so he's coming along, before it was an angel of the Lord. Verse 29, the Holy Spirit says to Philip, what? Go, go join, join that chariot. chariot. Yeah. Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. Uh, and perhaps this was the way a lot of people in ancient times read. It's a good way to read. It's to read aloud. He's mm -hmm. reading it aloud. Uh, and he hears him reading Isaiah the prophet. And Philip asks him a question. What's the question? Do you understand, Do you understand what you are reading? And the eunuch's answer is, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come sit with him. What does that tell you about the man's character? He trusted Philip. Okay, he's at least willing to listen to him. And he, and he also wanted to know more about what he was reading? Yes, he's more interested in getting information than pretending he has all the answers. Mm. How many people have you met that are the exact opposite of that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... He said, he asked Philip to come sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Is my reading point? Like a sheep, he was led to... Go ahead, Jonathan. Go ahead. Uh, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before his shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, just, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was is taken from the earth. You know, just, eunuch said to Philip, oh, sorry, go ahead. just think, you're an you're, uh, Ethiopian eunuch, you've traveled to Jerusalem, you're on the way back, you're reading this, and you're wondering, who is that talking about? Now, if you're familiar with Isaiah 53, of course, you know who this is talking about. And you might say, well, I know. Well, yes, you've known that passage for a long time. But perhaps this is one of the first times he's read it. And he doesn't know everything about Jesus. And he's wondering, who is that? Even the prophets themselves we read over in Peter that they wondered about what time or manner of time their problems mm -hmm. were about. So he wants to know who that is. Real quickly, I want to mention this. I met a friend last year. Uh, he lives in the southern part of Africa, and they do open ranching and sheep, goats, different things. And he mentioned this to me. He said, he said, I don't like slaughtering sheep. He, he, he showed me a photo, and they're, they're, they're butchering an animal, and I asked what it was, and I don't remember if I thought it was a sheep or a goat, but he clarified what it was. And he said, I, I don't mind slaughtering the goats, but I don't like to slaughter the sheep. You know why? why? He said, 
He said the sheep just take it. Oh. You know, a goat resists, but a sheep just doesn't fight back. And it reminded me of this passage. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the sure is dumb. So, and of course, who is this talking about? The Messiah, Jesus Christ. And this same Isaiah 53 is the passage that says, you know, he was wounded for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of Saul. So verse 34, the eunuch answered, Philip said, I pray you, of whom is the prophet speaking, of himself or some other? One of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Philip opened his mouth, beginning from this scripture, preached to him Jesus. He opened his mouth. We can't teach people without opening our mouths. We can set examples, but then it needs to be followed with actually teaching and speaking. And he began from this scripture. Sometimes people get in their mind, I know how I'm going to approach everybody. And they've got, they've got a systematic approach that they've decided to use for everybody. Not everybody's at the same spot. Where's the unit? In a chariot, reading Isaiah 53, wanting to know who that is. So where would you start? Where he was reading. Yeah, yeah, in the perfect spot. And he preached to him Jesus. The church is important, but he didn't preach the church. The church is the people that are saved by Jesus. He preached Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's water right there. Where did he get that idea? (laughs) Must have been a part of the teaching about Jesus. Yeah. When a New Testament disciple, Philip, preached to you Jesus, he also told you how to get into Jesus. The eunuch didn't say, you know, say, do you have a track with a little prayer on it I can pray? No. He, he said, here's water. Can I be baptized? Verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized. The word baptizo, meaning to immerse. And this helps us see that, yeah, that's what it means. Because if you were just going to dip, if you're just going to sprinkle him, guess what the eunuch probably had with him? A canteen. Oh. Yeah. You know, a jug of water, you know, a, 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 some some sort of containers of water. So he, hey, you know, here's some water. <laughs> Can I be baptized? No, you know, they understand what the word means. And they, that's an important thing that you're bringing up because the verse 26 said this road was in a desert. There wasn't yeah. a lot of water. Yeah. And, and, and all of a sudden it showed, it showed up. And, of course, who arranged this whole thing? The Lord. Ah. And so when they came up, they both went down into the water because you need to do that to immerse somebody. Um, you know, if you, because uh, it, it, it's at the edge, you're not going to be able to immerse somebody at the edge. You would have to get out deep enough to immerse him. And after this, they came up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. The eunuch saw him no more. He went on his way rejoicing. And Philip was found in Astos, passing through. He preached the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. There's one more point I'd like to get in real quick, and it's this. Um, How does God work? Do you suppose, how much of this do we know God was behind? All the events in this that we just read, what do we know from the text God was behind? Well, when he He said Philip. Philip. Yeah, when the angel of the Lord said, Philip, go down there. Okay. Then when the Holy Spirit said, Philip, join that chariot. And then, of course, the eunuch is reading Isaiah 53. So who's behind the writing of Isaiah 53? 
prophet of God, Isaiah. So God, you know, behind Isaiah's writing. And, of course, who's behind the Messiah coming to the earth? God. God. Now, do you suppose God might have been involved in having this fellow be in Isaiah 53? There's a lot of work that the Lord did. (laughs) Does the text tell us that God had intervened to have him in Isaiah 53? No. No, but of all the passages in the Old Testament, can you think of a better spot for him to be than Isaiah 53? No. You know, if, he, if he'd been in Second Chronicles, you know, about some wicked king or in a list of uh, genealogies in uh, numbers, it wouldn't have been as prime a spot. So wouldn't you agree that it looks like God's providence was at work here? Yes. So here's what I'd like to suggest. We have way too many people today that are always trying to read the tea leaves and say, oh, God's drawing me to do this. God's calling me to do this. I feel led by the Spirit to do this. I feel led by the Spirit to do that. If they get a hunch or an inkling or an idea or remembering something, they think, oh, the Holy Spirit's telling me to do this. I remember a fellow telling me, you know, I was going to go to McDonald's, but I felt the Holy Spirit was drawing me to go to Wendy's or something like that. Um, you know, maybe it was because you saw the sign on Wednesdays and it, Wendy's and it said pretty frosty. I don't know. Probably wasn't the Holy Spirit. But um, <laughs> the thing is, other times, sometimes people will say an overstatement and say God only works through the word. Well, God does a lot of things besides the word, and God can do whatever God wants to do. Uh, how did Philip know? to go to this spot. Angel, an angel to tell him. How did he know to join the chariot? The Holy Spirit. And was it a hunch? Was it a feeling? Did he say, I kind of feel? No, the Holy Spirit said, go, join yourself to this chariot. It wasn't a vague feeling. Does the Ethiopian eunuch know how God got him to this point? Mm-hmm. No. And he doesn't need to know. You know, God could have used any number of things to have the eunuch at that point, at that time, with that scroll open to that passage. And I don't have to know, and you don't have to know, and the eunuch didn't have to know all that God had put into motion, kind of like with that shekel in the fish's mouth. You remember? You know, what had proceeded to get that shekel at the right spot? God could have had everything. We don't need to limit how God put things into motion, but pay attention to this. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to God, but the revealed things belong to us because they're written down so we can read it. The Ethiopian eunuch is not responsible to know all of God's providence, how God arranged for this today. He's responsible for what? Philip preached to him the word and he, and he, heard it, he said, there's some water, can I be baptized? Mm-hmm. You know, what worries, we don't have to know everything God has done in his providence and whether he's used the Holy Spirit or angels or moving men's hearts or the wind or the weather or a bump in the road that knocked the scroll open to the right spot. God can do anything he wants. Mm-hmm. But our job is not to try to read the tea leaves and, and pretend that we're decoding secret messages from God by what the clouds look like today. Our job is to, if you're Philip and God says, go there, go there. And if you're the eunuch and you hear about Jesus and you need to be baptized, be baptized. Our, our job is to do the word. What a great chapter. 
What a great chapter. A lot of truths there. And it was a good way uh, you brought it out, Scott. I really appreciate it. I want to thank everyone that joined us today. And we want to invite you back again next Tuesday at the same time at 2 o'clock. And if you have questions between now and then, go to BibleQuest.tv and fill out the form on the page and ask your questions away. And we'd like to add those questions to our discussion. Anything else, gentlemen, before we leave? Thank you. Thank you.